right. So um, I added this morning, um, trying to assemble all this in the in the in a way I feel like is the right way, has had its challenges, mostly because I've been so busy with pools and different things of that nature at work and family coming in. But um, but let me um share my screen real quick and uh I'll show you. So I did update the the website. Okay, y'all can all see that. Let's see. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. Let's see. Who's that? Um, but I did I did update the website. Let me see if I can get to here. Um, so if we go to home. All right. So I did update it with a ton of little titles here. So I think this is what we we had. Um originally was wolves and sheep clothing and then a historical timeline in american christianity which was essentially just the breakdown of the audio link that we sent out and it was just an idea of those 12 sessions where you can look and you can see the timeline so if you knew you know where you you finished off you could go back um like if you wanted to go back to the fourth one you could go back to one hour and 13 minutes and start the first great awakening session um, so that's what that was for. It also had some time frames there for us to wrap our mind around. The freight, first Great Awakening was around 1740. The early Republic, um, you know, this time frame was um, 1790 to 1840. Um, that that actually should have been the. I have to edit that for some reason. That don't look right. Um, but that should have incorporated the Second Great Awakening, both of those things, the early Republic and the Second Great Awakening. But anyway, but you have your time frames and just starting to take a moment to pause um, and putting dates with with that particular thing. Uh, but to show you what I added, um, these are the one, these are two that I need some more editing to it. But what I want to you to to have the tool to do is when you when you're looking at history and you're trying to see um what you're what you're looking at is where do you see god most i guess in the movement of church history and um and and you're trying to somewhat just like you would with scripture as you're trying to take the raw scripture and understand its meaning in the same way when you're trying to understand what is the finger print of God or what is the hand of God doing in his church um, throughout time. And we know that there will be times that the church will hear God and walk in obedience. And there'll be time that the church will, will, will maybe rebel hearing, but rebel, or maybe just not hear him altogether. So as you're looking at how the church navigates through certain um, things in history, you want to bring a lot to the table. And so um, I, this is my least, um, this theologies one is the one I just put it up there so that I can edit, edit to it, but that's the one that I probably have the least information in it. Um, but the two things I do have is pietism and biblicism. Um, and what those two, I'll, I'll write a little bit on them just as far as defining them. Um, you could, you could look it look them up, but, but, but pietism and moralism kind of work together, but they're when you're trying to make yourself good enough to be acceptable to God. And that works in opposition of, of, of what God, what Christ has done and what God has done through Christ on the cross. And that, like, I like to think of the idea of like Noah's, um, Noah's art is that the only thing people did to protect themselves from the wrath of God in that day was get into the ark. And so in the same way, Christ is our ark today. And, and, and our, our, our deliverance from the wrath of God, our protection from the wrath of God is getting in Christ. And so when ideas are generated in our head by people or, or our own um, hearts or whatever, where we're saying, well, if I do this, God will love me. If I do that, God will love me. If I'll finally start doing this right or be faithful in this way, God will love me. Um, that that leads into pietism and moralism. So when you see someone that is so holy and so right and they just love everybody and they're serving, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ultimately godly or depending or trusting 
um, in Christ. Like an example would be like biblical example would be like um, Mary and Martha. Some guest of the town could have come to the Mary Martha situation and said, look how sweet Martha is. Look, Sonny, you should marry her. She's such a hardworking woman. Look how she, she makes sure the house is nice and hospital. And they were like, you need to stay away from Mary. All she does is sit around and ignore what's going on and, and, and this kind of thing. But Mary was at the feet of Jesus. She saw the richness of him and, and, and you know how that conversation went. So the, the point being is what pietism or moralism does is it tries to, to earn your salvation back. So like you could see salvation as sort of like what Jesus did on the cross is he paid your debt. Um, but you're trying to repay, you know, and, and, and there is no, there, we can't, we can't, we can't fix ourselves or save ourselves, but we also can't repay the debt that, you know, actually trying to repay the debt shows an ignorance on our part that we don't understand how much the debt is and that we'll never, we'll never be able to repay it. Um, and then the other theology there is biblicism. Biblicism is interesting. And I've seen some examples of that um, um, in debates, but what people will do is they will take a literal, um, reading of the text, um, and, and they will, they will, they will, um, take those pet passages and they will try to make, you know, kind of like picking scriptures, picking and choosing, and they, they will make their theology sound like it's very biblical because they're just focusing in to those texts and they're giving you their their um, narrative on it. Um, and so sometimes you can be honest and right and in truth. And if someone knows how to manipulate the Bible enough, they can with scripture alone kind of whip you in place. And so that's what biblicism does. Um, one of the ideas that combats or, or, or helps you not fall into biblicism is having trusted um, confessions and creeds from people that have have um have read through the Bible front to back many a times have been pastoring for many a times uh, many a days or whatever um they they they're not tossed to and fro by every you know every little scripture or every little misuse of scripture and so th that's one thing um and then moving through this a little bit quicker um this this is a simple one um my kids if if I have a one in 08, so she's 15, but um, they like to come around the, the house a lot and say, are you in your blah, blah, blah era? You know, they like the word era. Um, age is another word, but but I wanted to speak about these generations, but I, I listed the dates on, um, I don't know why there's a space here, but I listed the date on what they're calling, which my grandpa would have been in the silent generation, but that would have been the parents of the baby boomers. And then there's the dates there, the baby boomers, the X generation, the Y generation, the Z generation. The next one starting in 2013 is what they're calling the alpha generation. I thought that was a little bit interesting, but but those those are just some tools I think are worth kind of committing to memory. Um, I think we've seen something in the in, in four generations, the baby boomer X, Y and Z generation that historically is pretty, pretty amazing, uh, mostly in. And the baby boomers um, um, trying to raise their kids, um, disrespecting their parents, but just a, an overall um, lack of submission that that was injected through the baby boomer generation. It seems like we haven't been able to turn turn that ship around and and reel it. And so it's almost X, Y, and Z generation just been amplified, and that I think has a lot to do with the state we're in now. But but anyway, that's that's some generational ages just to kind of, you know, bring to your history and bring to trying to understand um, truth. Um, and then um, this one I thought was interesting. I added this wars and amendments. Um, if you're looking at it. the So one of the things when you're looking at church history is is to remember that the Reformation happened in essentially what a lot of times they'll call England or old England. And then we would be considered New England because um, from their perspective, England had just extended to to America. Um, but what you have as key events here is the French Revolutionary War, the American Revolutionary War, 
So that takes us to America being unified as states. And then um, when we get into what's a real civil rights type deal is, is the Civil War over slavery. So there's that date that's right after the Second and Great Awakening. Um, you see it as 1861 to 1865. And then you got um, World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, those, those time frames there, the Cold War and the Vietnam War. All of those had an impact. You know, just to bring that to the table, when you're looking at that particular point of history, what was going on in the culture? What was the hard times going on in the culture? What were people worried about or thinking about? Other things, I put three amendments, the 13th, the 15th, and the 19th Amendment, um, and the time frames on them. Um, 13th Amendment was abolishing slavery. 15 was given um, black men the rights to vote. And the 19th Amendment was given women the rights to vote. If you look at those dates, um, the North um, began to, in 1805, deal with um, slavery, but not until 1865 was it abandoned at the end of the Civil War. Um, but then um, it was still another five years before black men were given the right to vote by an amendment. And then women didn't get the right to vote to 1920. And these things are important when you're studying the history of um, of the of the um, the outbreaking of the um, Second Amendment, because Charles Finney was one of the leaders of the um, uh, not not the Second Amendment, the Second Great Awakening. Charles Finney was one of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening and um, um, the um, Seven Day Adventist, you know, main leader um, Ellen G. White was a very um, was very, uh, very uh, moral, like she was against men and their sins, but she was for women, women's rights. So was Charles Finney. So you start to see um, this um, sympatheticness um, out of the second great awakening towards slavery and through um, the oppression of women. And you see these amendments kind of coming. So um, when we think of, of love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love others as you'd love yourself. And and you think about being the hands and feet of Jesus and being the body of Christ, um, you see um, these these two things. We, we, because we love God, we do things in culture. And when you look at like the social gospel, what you're seeing is people trying to do works in community without actually knowing the true God and loving God. A lot of social gospel stuff, when you look at it, um, they're not theologically, biblically sound, and they're redefining who God is. So they, they actually can't take their definition of God and their um, commission from God, from, from the Bible. And that's when you kind of put the cart before the horse. You know, loving God and knowing God is the horse. The servant of the people is, is the cart. Um, we don't serve people to try to get God's approval. We serve people because of what God has done, how he's loved and um, enlightened us and those kind of things. Um, so there's a few few things there. Um, and then, and like I said, I just put these all in categories so you can look up. This is interesting is universities. Um, you know, I just came up with four of them, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Westminster. Um, and, and basically, when you look back at the history of Harvard, there was a reason Harvard was developed was to promote godly principles. It was then taken over by liberals and then Yale was birthed from, from that. And then it was taken over by liberals and then actually Princeton, um, it was developed to replace Yale. And it was, it was kind of sort of taken over liberals, liberals. It's a little bit different story to that. But but this this um, Christians building something and then um, ungodly liberal people coming and taking over that happens over and over again in history and you can see that through these um, these schools um, again and again you see this picture of where liberals don't really build anything that lasts they just go steal and take stuff that someone someone built um, you know that that they saw was good and they wanted it. Um, these next three things, enlightenment, modernism, and postmodern era, um, I won't jump into those, but I just kind of define those just from the internet and scripture, but it, it's, it, there's enough for you to read here to get a, get your mind wrapped around that the enlight the difference between the enlightenment and the modernism 
is enlightenment was mostly I was was happening in England where modernism was it, sometimes what happens over there in Europe takes a hundred years to get to America or something like that. And so that's about the difference between these two time frames. So um the ideas of the enlightenment started to take root in America and we had to deal with it on our soul, um, you know, in, in this point in time. And that's, that's what modernism kind of created uh, uh, the church really going liberal um, because um, the science and the challenge of the secular world and the philosophies to say, you Christians are a bunch of idiots that that was that was the the problem they were facing um you know you didn't have telescopes you didn't you know just discovering the planets you know just different things that were happening there that they were being exposed they were they were feeling they were feeling like fools that uh, believe in, in myths and 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 wise tales and so they were they were at a season where they were wondering with all this new information you know, what do we make of God? Is he still trustworthy and all that? And so that that was a real history, um, tough event for them to navigate through. Um, and then the postmodern era actually mo moves into skepticism and away from logic and reason, which obviously you can see that walk out the front door in our day today, because we're seeing that in full, full flesh, um, full, full um, force. Um, but anyway, enlightenment, modernism, postmodern, those are, those are all, um, ideas that it's, it's worth knowing what they are and seeing them in um, real space, time and history, how they, they've changed and moved and involved, just help you understand your history, your America and why things are the way they are. And then, um, these are actually movements, um, liberal liberalism, fundamentalism, evangelism, and then I put this one wasn't defined by the um, the audio that we had, but but I just put on here the social gospel is one thing we are dealing with today. Um, seeker friendly is is one thing we're dealing with today, and the digital age, um, just the information, Facebook, social media, all that. Those are all things we're dealing with today. So when you look back and you see how the Enlightenment affected primarily the people um, in Europe or England. And then you see a hundred years later that came to modernism and that, that intelligence was really a battle that the church had to face, you know, here on, on the soil here in America. And then you see people kind of rejecting logic and theology postmodern era. That's kind of part of the battle we're, we're facing today, but those are in the, in the three modes of, um, of secular insight or secular um, wisdom. But when you look at, like liberalism, um, liberalism is the response to modernism. Um, they basically, basically what liberalism, liberalism did was remove the supernatural because that's the things that made the modernist movement and, and, and thinkers was making them feel so silly. Um, and so they were willing to give up the supernatural. Well, what the, the 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 um opponents to that action would say is that you can't give up the supernatural we 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 serve a god that created all things and if he is in his word said he did these supernatural things if we don't believe that part of the bible we can't believe any of it and so liberalism was trying to compromise and you know because modernism the 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 um temptation was do you really believe that and I always point it some versions say it a little different but if you go back to genesis 3 god gave a commandment do not eat of the of the tree of of, of knowledge of good and evil and um and 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 the devil basically comes to him and says did god really say this did god really say that and so that's always the voice and the and the perspective of the devil and that's what modernism was was bringing pressure to the church did did he really make food did he really rise from the dead um, was he really a virgin birth? You know, uh, did he really say he was God? And so they just really brought all these questions. And so those that were weak in their faith, you know, liberalism said, well, hey, 
we still want to have church. We still think that's important. And, and they were willing to give up what makes Christianity distinct. So what fundamentalism comes, and there was about five, five groups of fundament, fundamentalists, and, um, and they all had a different approach, but they were all for the same thing in the sense that liberalism was wrong, and we need to believe in the supernatural God. We serve a God that speaks things into existence. And so fundamentalism was people that were willing to die for what they believed in and fight for what they believe in. And they, 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 they made an assault and stood up against liberalism. Um, but in fundamentalism, people um, kind of, they, they, they lost, um, you know, they lost the, the, I'm trying to think how to say it in the transition to evangelism. They, they begin to, um, in a, in a lot of ways, they begin to forget about the culture. They be, they begin to forget about the world. They begin to kind of identify, we're gonna we're gonna stand on these principles, these val values, and and that's that's the way it is. This is what's right. We're gonna do that, and they begin to kind of kind of tune out the world. So, what made a need for evangelism and what made it um, effective in our culture was was getting back to the basics of the gospel. Um, that we need to care about people's salvation. And um, I may be saying that a little bit too brief, but that's where we see the transition mostly in Billy Graham was the leader of, of much of that. Um, Billy Graham, when you, there was a couple other people, Billy Graham, um, Billy, I think it was, I think it was Billy Sunday, Dwight Moody. Um, what historians will say about them is that they didn't have a complicated salvation plan or soteriology is the language they use. They just had a simple message that was calling people to the Lord um, and, and that they need Christ in their life. Um, and so evangelism, you know, that's evangelism, but, but we also make disciples and so what you see is a weakness of, of only evangelism is you, you see, you can see a lot of false converts from only evangelism. You can see um, people confirmed as Christians that are not really Christians. Um, that's why discipleship is important. So when you're putting evangelism, evangelism and discipleship, we have to evangelize. We have to give the message of the gospel to people and give them a chance to respond but what what evangelists only like Billy Graham and some of the crusades he did and some of the other people that were in that string line is because they weren't really good disciplers in a lot of cases they didn't they they really allowed for this mass crusade of people and whoa 5000 people got saved or whatever the number was and they didn't actually get them connected to local churches or really help them understand this um, new life that they have found in Christ and these kind of things. But you can do the flip side of that. And that might've been what the fundamentalism was maybe doing. You can research that just kind of giving you some general big pictures, but fundamentalism could have been too much discipleship with not enough caring for um, people that are lost and dying, going to hell and them knowing the new life in Christ. So we always ask ourselves personally, you know, am I evangelized? When's the last time I shared the gospel with, um, with, with someone that needs to know the gospel? Um, and then also, um, just because someone says they're a Christian, um, if they don't have a heart for God's word and for Bible study and maybe telling other people about Christian Christ, you know, those are the discipleship concepts that, that hold, you know, both, both go together. You don't neglect one or the other. And then, like I said, the last thing, I think the social gospel is the odd, you know, for me in general terms, you know, you could define a couple of different ways, but I think where the social gospel is clearly wrong. So what the liberal will always do, they're going to sound like the devil. Did God really say this? But what the liberal is always going to do is um, they're going to say, you believe that? Are you kidding me? Really? Are you an old fogey? You know, you know that they're they're always going to shame you like that, and 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 like they're going to say things like, um, "Well, what are you doing for God? I'm over here doing this and doing that." You know, well, that's pietism, moralism. You know, that's it's all shaming, it's condemnation. But 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 you got to ask yourself. 
how do you, in spiritual terms, how do you put the cart before the horse? If helping people, feeding the poor and all that is the cart, if you do that all your life, but you don't know God, if you do that for people all in your community, but you never show them God, you know, then you're just a man pulling a cart around, you know, um, the horse is important. And so what we see, especially in the woke culture of today, critical race theory, all this nonsense is a godless it, they, they're called, you know, they may call it a social gospel activity, whatever it's, it's godless. It doesn't in any way point to God. And I know we're not covering all that in every way, but the more you un- unpack that, the more you, you see that for what it is. And then, and then the seeker friendly, you know, um, you know, we are born in our flesh and we have a fallen nature and what the, the the good news is offensive to the good news from God is offensive to our flesh. And it causes our flesh and bids it to come and die so that it can be born again and created anew. Um, and so the good news is that the bad news is that our flesh has to die. But the good news is that God has a better life for us and that he will give us his spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead can come into us and give life to, to our body. And we can have a new heart with new and right desires. I mean, our old heart struggles with obeying God and doing what he wants to. If we try to make our old heart do it, it's going to be never be nothing but a struggle. But when God comes and pours his spirit into us, then we have a new heart with new and right desires, and we will willingly want to do the things that is pleasing to him because his attitude, his um his 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 heartbeat is is in us. And um and then I guess the last thing with this the digital age I have um uh, my kids were o two o born in o two o four o eight and um and um o and then twelve and um so all of mine made it into the Z generation. They are not in alpha um based on the the ones I sent, but um but o eight my my third we we kind of got a little bit of feel for it four years later with with the twelve um child the youngest one, but in o eight. Um, one of the things I think we as parents did looking back, um, and more, more, more parents are realizing this is that when you're, when you're busy and you got so much going on and the kids are, are upset there and you, um, just give them an iPad, you know, there was a time where like with my younger kids, we would put a DVD in, or I think I even had kids when we would put a VHS in and those 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 things were uh, they they had a little more accountability, you know, the VHS than what just comes from the internet. Um, there's almost no censorship through the internet, so a lot more things can slip through. Um, but usually the videos we would show were things that other parents had looked at and approved. It was like parent approved type deal, even the DVDs. But if you remember, I don't know um, Shane and Jeff what y'all's world was raising your kids, but, but there was a season where we'd put the DVD cameras on the back of the, of the, of the car seat so that they could watch the, um, the video. And, and what are we just trying to do? Keep them to shut up, you know, but we're, we're sort of overstimulating them. We're not teaching them to just be still and, 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 you know, comfort themselves or whatever have you. But, but anyway, all that just kept evolving and so when they got to the iPad or or you would be at the restaurant and they're, I want to do something. You give them your cell phone and they're playing a game there or you give them the iPad. And then now for, for many people, it's just evolved into total uncensorship. And so what's happening is whoever's out there in the cloud is raising your kids. You know, um, they have the term now influencers um and you know in in all of my kids they know who who influencers are um even even the ones that didn't have as much um social media impact and um were raised in in the church and so i think i don't have all the answers to the digital age and how we 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 turn that around um i don't know if i fully understand 
you know, the, the depth of the impact that it has in, in my own kids and, and what that looks like for the future. But I know it's creating a chaotic situation. Um, it's creating the situation where everybody can have their truth and believe their truth and they can get into an echo chamber and, and get all the support and confidence from whatever they want to believe, um, to, to be true. And so one of the things, big picture, the reason I wanted to do this is to give us some tools, um, to navigate what, what is truth? Um, you know, you know, how's it, how's Jesus said, he says, you'll know them by their fruit. Um, but like we can all have an idea that sounds right, but what does that lead to? Does, does that idea that we're practicing and then we're implementing, does it lead to victory? And, and what social media does is it makes everybody look like they're living their best life now that, 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 that nobody ever has any problems. And, and that's just not true. Um, people that have the greatest, um, social media account are struggling spiritually, you know, in a lot of cases more than any, anyone else. And so at some point, if we're going to reverse what I think is a negative trend, we have to look people in the eye. We have to ask real questions. And, and so all of this that we're saying here is just kind of a big picture. We have not dealt with in any way. Um, the challenges of Catholicism and Seventh-day Adventists and Mormons or any of that kind of those theological concepts. But I think all of this is important because we're just going at these things a lot of times at a surface level and we're not asking real questions. Um, I was doing some studying on the Seventh-day Adventists um, and and um, and one of the things that it said is that they Mormonism is doing the same thing. Um, they've they've their PR department has made them look at the surface level so Christian that most Christians don't recognize it. Um, and and unless you dig a little bit deeper, you don't realize they're trying to they're they're trying to sound Christiany and suck you in to their thing. And so, what my my goal or hope in talking about some of that is to kind of open your eyes to maybe some of that. I'll give you one example before I, I shut up here. Um, let me get off of the sharing screen here. Stop sharing. Um, but but I had a guy sent a sent a um, worship song to me, um, and I got listened to it, and he he said I hesitated to send this because um, I thought it was. Um, I wasn't sure if it was biblically sound. And so I got listening to it and, and I, I immediately thought it wasn't biblically sound, but, but I knew I came from a different, different place from than, than he was. Um, I've kind of got away from any kind of like, so what a lot of these young kids do this um, Z generation is they get and they turn the lights down they get in a circle with instruments and then they just play instruments and sing. And the lyrics that they're singing are usually very, very shallow. They might be seven words. It doesn't really say nothing too big of a deal. But, but they just, they just, they just pour their emotion out, and they're just, they're just, they think they're doing something, you know, great. And um, and so I, I, I'm not into that too much. But I knew this person was, and and I think a lot of times people are sweet people doing that. Um, and so anyway, I was looking at that and I said, okay, this is just some sweet, cool, you know, young people trying to love the Lord the way they, they know how to, but what the, what the line of it was it the, the, the main line, it wasn't much to the lyrics, but the main line said, um, God don't give up on me yet. And I started to chew on that a bit. And I said, well, you know, if you know God for who he is, he already knows you. He already knows what you're going to do in the future. I, I just was like, I don't, I don't think I ever would want a worship song that that just over and over again talks about God not giving up on me. I, I think that's theologically you know, wrong. And, and I was writing to that a little bit. And before I sent it, I said, you know, to, to the guy, I said, well, 
there, there might be something else to the story. So I begin to research the, the, the song and trying to find out who the group was. And then the group led me to the, who the author was, whatever. And anyway, in, in researching that, I found out in 2019, this person was on the um, American Idol. And on American Idol, she's saying, I, uh, my Redeemer lives, um, Christian song, right? And um, and so it, she got a lot of like, oh, it's a Christian. She's, she, she's very pretty and all that. But anyway, I got looking at it. And what the long story short, what I found is she was a Mormon. And they were, uh, it was an organization that come together where they were trying to restore faith um, to people, you know, in, in the church is the way they said it. Now, when you go and look at what Mormons believe, which we're not there at, at this point in this morning, um, it, it's not biblical. And it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's way out there. But, but what, do you, what does it mean when someone will, camouflage their self and act they know all the buzzwords of christianity and they will they will get all the christian people to be say oh she's singing our redeemer lives on american idol god is moving you know all that but at the end of the day when you uncover it all she doesn't believe in the god that that's of the bible you know and that's a level of deception that's pretty high. And, and I think, you know, I think we need to be awakened to that. We need to realize that just because, just, just because someone says something on the surface that sounds Christian-y doesn't mean they are. And so it's important to ask real questions with real depth and real value. I, I talked about pietism or moralism the other, earlier as far as theologies are our biblicism there are people that will use the bible in a way that you think there's no way they can't be a christian but their goal in how to use the bible bible is to leave you thinking it's not authoritative because they will present certain scriptures as contradicting themselves and their goal is to make you you not be able to reconcile it and they want to leave you with two scriptures that seem to contradict themselves and you don't know how to unreconcile that they're not about reconciling for you they're not a, they're not about helping you you get a deeper roots they they actually use this idea of biblicism in the bible to try to destroy your faith and the same way with moralism, what that lady was saying, pietism, is that, Lord, don't give up on me. She's probably a super sweet person, but she don't have the gospel and she don't know what Christ did for her. And 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 what she's doing is she's saying that when I get to a certain version of goodness, God's going to love me. He's going to care for me. And, and she's saying, don't give up on me because I'm. I'm working this out. I want to be pleased by you. But but what a sad deal that there's someone out there that so bad wants God to love them, that so bad wants to be pleasing to him, but they fail to realize that he does love them, that he has done the work. They fail to realize how they overcome sin and go back to the Noah's Ark thing is they didn't overcome the wrath of God or the flood waters by anything they did other than getting in the ark. And our protection and our deliverance from sin is not in what we do, but who we hide in, who we put, you know, who we cover ourselves with. And um, so anyway, I went, I went long there. I'm going to shut up. Um, Shane, um, Mr. Wayne was answering the question, but Shane or Jeff, um, have y'all went through some of the American Christian Christian Christianity audio? I know, I think you had started it last time. Yeah, I did. I got through probably a little less than halfway through. Um, it's good. I will say it's long and it's a continuous deal. So there's sometimes my mind starts drifting, but um. One of the things I found, and he says it in there, it's just like it, it, the pendulum swings. You go from real uh, liberal concepts 
and then it will swing back maybe more conservative. And then it, it kind of goes from one extreme to the other, it seems. Um, there was some interesting things like, you know, when these um, when these young graduates were finishing up, uh, I think it was like Harvard and Princeton, you know, they these cities were saying, hey, we got, you know, we got uh, 17 single females yeah. that, that would fit you. They were like bidding for these uh these pastors but uh no it, it it has some some good info in there and just um the, the the beginning the with the puritans i found pretty interesting and in how um, i don't have the right words but yeah uh, the the word now uh, puritanical you could be called puritanical and i can't remember dennis what exactly does that mean Kind of rigid, I believe, just really stuck and not yeah. much give or seeing the other side. Yeah, I mean, the jokes were uh, a Puritan is anyone that thinks someone somewhere is having fun, you know. And so he, that's, he that's... so he addressed dressed that. But um, I I think sometimes one thing I think is interesting with like Pentecost or even charismatic sometimes. And back to the Mormon girl that I was saying, and and this is I hope what we can. I, th- I hope we can lovingly get this into our mind is there are. So when you're talking about cults or bad preaching or whatever, um, there's some really good people like, like I, I want to say that the right way, but there's, there's some really people that are really seeking to try to do the right thing. And then they have bad theology or, or whatever. Um, um, but like back to the example of the girl singer that I was saying, and and back to you're you're talking about Puritans. So what I was going to say is I've seen like I had a guy one time when I when I didn't know much about theology and he told me he said Dennis is one of the most holy people I've ever met. I've had another guy say Dennis loves people more than anyone I've ever met. Well, this is all things people said about me when I really had no real serious the- theological understanding. But what that means is what that says is what a person can do when they have a heart after God. And and that says something powerful about someone's heart after God. But it doesn't mean that they're actually worshiping the God of the Bible, that they actually have that framework. So one of the things that if you look at those first two great awakenings, one, you know, the, the thing that the second great awakening was thought of is emotionalism, that it was just fanning the flame of emotionalism. Well, it was in the second great awakening that that the Protestant denominations and the ideas and th- theologies became so, so many because it kind of created your truth is, you know, we don't want to hinder the Holy Spirit. So whatever comes, you know, that you feel is of the Holy Spirit you know, is of the Holy Spirit. And so it created all these options that they had to sort through. Um, If you heard the burned over district, which was up there, um, it almost created a Holy Spirit circus act that, you know, that's where Mormonism came from. Joseph Smith is over there in the burned over district. And he basically asked an honest question, Lord, which one is right? Which one I believe? Then he goes off into an arrogant way and says, that someone spoke to him and that he prophesied that none of them are right. And I'm going to make the one right one, you know, but, 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 but in all of that, you know, the first great awakening wasn't like that. I mean, one of the things that they say about the first great awakening is that the pastors were trained and the second great awakening, they were not trained. So those are things you have to to ask yourself. Cause even in our modern day, you have people that think, um, we don't need trained pastors. Just lay people can do it. I would I would say that the good compromise is this. I've seen people that feel like they have a heart for the Lord and they go to a, 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 ver- a four-year academic seminary degree that actually sucks the life out of them. I don't think that's right. Um, and, and like what Ligonier says is um, what Ligonier Connect is all about is it says, we're bridging the gap between Sunday school and the ministry. And so I, I, I suggested this to a group last night is like, let's just say, how many of you 
Um, if you had a six month course you could go take to do like anything, any trade like electrical or sheetrocking or plumbing or, or concrete, you know, driveway making, like you might would do that. You might say, Hey, look, man, I just want to be able to lay some driveways, you know, and you go do a six month course for that. That's something you could work into your life, give you a secondary trade and add value to the diversity of who you are as a person. OK, why can't seminary be that way? Why can't when you have a call for the Lord, you go to a six month practical thing that would give you framework for something you're interested in? Why is the only option to go to this four year degree where they want you to learn Greek and Hebrew and all this other kind of stuff? And then you're 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 crying here. I don't want this. This is terrible. This is like, is this Christianity? You know, and, and, and you have that. And so the pendulum, as you would be, you have people that are so hands and feet um, based in their ministry that they're like, ah, ministry is stupid. And then at the same aspect, they're saying theology is dumb. Theology divides and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And relationship, relationship. But no, um, we need some framework. You know, um, and so where's the balance between that? I mean, I think we got to use our good common sense, but um, but there are some really good hearted people that love people that are just dumb. Um, they're just spiritually, theologically dumb and they're doing dumb stuff and they're not really helping people. And like, for example, like if you ever I have it on the, the deal, but if you ever go through that attributes of God. Most people in church today, and even what we're doing with church history here, most people in church today, over 80% of them, do not have a good understanding of the Reformation, church history, the attributes of God, and so on and so forth, the atonement of Christ, all that. Well, that's the role of the church to teach that. And, and so, you know, when you're saying theology divides or ministry is dumb, you know, some, some, at some point we need to call these people out and say, bro, you're not even doing what you're called to do. You're not, you know, you're, you're not equipping the people. That, if, if the, if the pastor's a shepherd and the people are a flock that, that God gave to them and, and trusted to that pastor, you know, there's consequences of you not being a good shepherd and, and, and there's a standard. You know, there are certain essentials of the faith that you have to teach and you have to pe have people understanding. And one of the reasons the church is not moving forward is because the pastors are not equipping the saints for doing the work of the ministry, that that the, the roots are weak. And, and at some point we have to realize that. And that that's one of the hopes is that in church history, you're like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. That was kind of man, that was kind of weak. But, but it begins to put you in, in the place of what would you have done in that situation? Would you have seen that right? Would you have been on this side or would you have been on that side? And it begins to kind of speed up or, 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 or energize the decisions that you're making as you're walking through your, your pilgrimage in space and time right now. Um, so anyway, Jeff, anything before we jump off? Um, you still there? Are you yeah, I'm I'm still here. I was uh yeah, I was listening to that story you said about the the Mormon who sung My Redeemer Lives and man, that's uh I, the only way I can describe that is a wolf in sheep's clothing and I don't mean mean that directed at that woman. I mean it directed at the religion itself and um you know, thinking of worship music, I've had a discussion with some guys at the church. We've kind of coined this term, the unholy trinity of music. That's uh, Bethel, Elevation, and Hillsong. And um, and the reason why I, I say that, and I'm, I'm more leaning strongly of not allowing that into churches, is because of the theology that's behind it. So like you said, when you, you researched this girl and you went and looked at the author and what did the author believe, I think that's important for us because what a lot of these churches have done has has found a way to get to the youth get into uh into churches and it's through their music but you go and like you said the internet's unfiltered access you go and you listen to a bethel song and it it sounds great it sounds like yeah this lines up with scripture but then you you know your feed tells you here's some recommended things to listen to from bethel and you start hearing their preaching and it's like whoa that is 
totally unbiblical. Um, my my stance is don't even allow it in. Um, but I, I know each person's you know feels differently about it. It's just the enemy has a way to to make people feel good about what they're listening to and what they hear. And like you said, the seven day Adventists and the Mormons, they're, they're going through a rebranding right now to make themselves sound as most Christian as possible. And that's just, that's dangerous. That's things we have to look out for. Um, and, and, you know, Mormons, you take that Ephesians two, eight, um, you've been saved by grace through faith, not of your own works, lest any man boast. Their edited copy says you've been saved by grace through faith after all that you can do. And and so Mormons? Mormonism, their edited King James version of, of oh, the scriptures, okay. it's it's ever so slightly they adjust and make tweaks. And um man, that's just we we've got to to know our Bible and uh know it soundly. I, and it was interesting. You talked about the the modern the modernist period. I want to I want to listen to that one and read more. And I've heard the pre modern, modern, and post modern descriptions, uh, but I haven't heard like the modernism and, and liberalism and how one combated the other. So I'm interested to to listen more on those. Yeah, and I'll give you about the music real quick. So one of my favorite songs from Elevation is is I think it might be called Faithful, but basically the song is. You are faithful, faithful, you know, and I'm like, man, because I, I, I think faithfulness in God is just like, I mean, I, I, I love the song. I, I could probably listen to it now and, and probably enjoy it. But then the pastor that sings and directs all that, you know, there's a lot of crazy things he says. But one of it is he's like, God broke the law for love. No, he didn't. <laughs> you know, that, that's as biblical as anything. You know, if God broke the law, he's a sinner, you know. So, so, and then I've watched him in a debate and he's no idiot. I mean, and that's just what's boggling is how someone could go through Senate seminary, be so smart and yet be so deceptive. So that was, I, I've, I've kind of went away from that, but Jeff said that the Matthew, I guess that's Matthew 7, 15, but they'll come to you as, um, as sheep and, and wolf, uh, wolves and sheep clothing. And what, what I think that we have to kind of consider in our day is, um, so like technically you would think a Mormon is coming to you with not a good sheep costume, you know, over, over his history. But their sheep costume is getting more and more deceptive, same way with maybe the Seventh-day Adventists. But my point, my point would be, so one comes with you with a cheap sheep costume that you can tell that's a wolf. You know, what was that old story where the wolf act like the grandma and that kind of stuff? And she's trying to figure it out. And uh, Red Riding. Yeah, Red, Red Riding. Riding Hood. So, so sometimes we can see this is definitely a wolf in sheep's clothing. But but I think we live in a day that that the 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 sheep costumes are so good that we need serious discernment. And we need we just need to be slow to ask, is that is that not too skeptical? I mean, that would be you know, that that would go in a wrong way, too. But but we really need to ask questions. And and when I started thinking about doing this, I wanted to ask um, just a simple question. What is the view on prophecy and what is the view on scripture? And um, and I heard another one. Um, he said, what is their view on Christ and what is their view on the cross? I think is what they were saying. But what I'm getting at is really all you need is two, maybe three questions to to determine if someone is wearing a really good sheep costume or if they're actually a sheep. Um, and, and, and what it boils down to is like, when you ask, do you believe that Jesus was God? Do you believe he took the sins of the world? Do you believe he, he, resur he resurrected only sheeps believe only sheep believe that, you know? Um, and when you hear the liberalists, like, Real, I don't know about that. Really, ah, you know, they're telling you. 
they're telling you that they're oh they're they've got a costume on, you know, and 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 like one of the one of the sheep costumes is is is, is I'm just going to tell you this is a nice guy. Um, some of the the, the most um, wicked Christians seem like some of the nicest people, and it goes back to that pietism and moralism and maybe even biblicism. They know the Bible. They know how to use it to say, you know, to 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 make their point. And they, but at the end of the day, they don't believe the gospel because they're not someone that's getting in that ark for the protection from the wrath of God. They're not getting in Christ. And if you remember a while back when we did that wedding feast, and I think that was in Matthew 22, and it was like verses 11, 13, and it says that one had entered in without a wedding garment. And we asked the question, like, what is the wedding garment? I think we live in a world we don't recognize, do you have your wedding garment on? We don't We don't look to see. At the end of the day, we can talk Christian talk. We can do Christian attendance. We can do Christian activities. But at the end of the day, when it, when your heart is, your soul is open up, are you like Mary depending on Jesus at his feet? Or are you like Martha trying to, to make the environment right? You know, where, where are you at, you know, with that? So um, any final thoughts? I saw, I saw Jeff had to jump off. It's right at the clock. What you think, Mr. Wayne? Well, I am grateful that, uh, this whole group is seeking the uh, solutions to all these problems. I hope we, by the end of our study, come up with some good ideas that we can spread. I pray that uh, God will encourage you all, especially you, Dennis, to share, like that video and the talk you gave, at least share it with some church leaders and get them thinking anyway. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Shane? Well, I think... Uh... You know, when you look at history, it's crazy that church history, it's not crazy. It's, it doesn't get talked about and recognize that church history carries American history and where we are with that stuff. And I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was good. And when he talked about people think the founding fathers were these Christian Bible believing guys and they did just several of them weren't. He said that there was only one, one solid Christian along that. But um, saying all that, I just think that the church carries in whatever way the church is leaning. Um, I think that can push the, or or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe it's America in church trying to fit into society and America and start shifting certain ways. And that's why you see that pendulum swing back and forth. Yeah. Well, um, I'll just say this in closing is, is so I know I, I kind of knew it'd be a big task in four weeks to do everything, but I, I wanted to give you all a taster to kind of look and give you some, some tools. Um, so we'll, we'll decide next week if we want to kind of extend a little bit more than this. I want to get back to the Bible. Um, we're, we're always in good hands when we, when we stick to, to, to the word of God, you know? Um, but, but I think, um, this, this is important. Um, so I wanted us to take a little bit of a little bit of a break. You know, um, we, we were in John so long, um, but I'm, I would kind of like to finish finish John um, if y'all are, are up to that. So we'll, we'll see. But um, but like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to work on this and have some tools. But what, what I realize about church history and a lot of things is this is something you have to chew on. Um, it's not something you're going to be able to make a decision about overnight but I wanted to give you some good perspectives because we don't need to, to just make the Bible say what we want it to say. We don't need to make church history to just say what we want to say. We, we're looking for truth and truth is quite a, quite a um, treasure hunt. Um, you know, it, it takes time. It takes us to be consistent. So I just wanted to, to stimulate some thoughts in you guys that you kind of start hunting for treasure a little bit more that you engage that a little bit more um, and, and, you know, I've been doing, I guess, church history, maybe as many as 10 years, um, but at least five and, um, and I, I'm still learning, you know, I'm still learning and, 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 sh and shaping my, my, my views. And, um, so, so I just want you guys to join the journey, you know, with me and, and, and kind of learn a little bit of, of some of the, the, the guidelines I've learned. So, 
Um, Shane, you want to close this in prayer? Yeah. Father God, I just I just thank you first of all for you know sharing and showing us what love is. I think we get distorted, Lord, and we want love to be this feel good emotion, Lord. But I just thank you for it being sacrificial. You giving your Son on our behalf for our uh, missing the mark, Lord, our uh, our transgressions, Lord. You 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 come to redeem that. Uh, Lord, thank you for this day. I pray we go out and, and just seek you out in church, Lord, and and uh, surrender our hearts, make our hearts whole, mold us into who you want us to be in this society that seems to be kind of drifting from you, Lord. May we be that framework that Dennis talked about, and it all starts with your word and, and, and with your Holy Spirit leading us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. And Mr. Wayne, you do have the audio, right? You Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, if you need anything, let me know. All right. Have a All good right. week.